All right, so I see some attendees joining us. We'll give everyone just a minute here to get logged on, but welcome to today's panel with Work Now and in the Future. We are really excited to be here and uh, I'm really excited to introduce our panelists today who are going to discuss the exciting topic of uh, what we are just kind of bucketing into the four C's, but culture, community, connection, and communication, which are some critical things for making work work right now. So we'll get started in, in just a minute here, letting everyone get logged in. All right, and I think we are live across our streaming services and platforms and everything. So we'll go ahead and, and get started. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Herring. I am the Chief Experience Officer at Living HR and your moderator, host, and person who will speak the least uh, over this next hour and a half together. I'm sorry, hour together. So if you haven't met us before, Living HR exists to reimagine work in ways that build inclusive cultures, really optimize talent, and ultimately humanize our experiences. So essentially, we just wanna make work better and foster experiences where people can live a good life. So we believe that part of our duty in that pursuit is bringing together and lifting the voices of the amazing humans who are brilliant and well-versed in the world of work, which is what brings us all together today. So thank you to our panelists and thank you to our audience for joining us from wherever you are in the world. We're really excited to have this conversation together and really honored that we are able to do so. So today we are going to discuss culture, community, connection, and communication. So these are, like I mentioned before, just a few critical components of making work work. And there's a lot baked into these. So I'm glad that we have an hour to dig into them together, which won't be nearly enough. But um, we've seen a huge uptick in conversation and investment in these topics around the world of work in every size, every type of organization. And there's sort of been this irreversible realization and maybe a, a reckoning that's happened over the past year and a half that work was really broken when it came to these critical pieces of work. And so humans needed more from their organizations. They needed more to connect with, to belong to, to feel included and considered. And so when it comes to culture, community, connection and communication, we have to consider both the human element that makes these things function well, as well as the technology and systems elements that bring these things to life in realistic and intuitive ways that actually you know, work in the day-to-day. -day. So our amazing panel does not include my dog. It might for the moment, but for the remainder, hopefully it won't. Uh, it includes, uh, and I'll do a brief introduction and then allow them to really introduce themselves and do it justice. But we have Misty Brown Fisher, who is the Chief People Officer at FISC, Melissa Druth, the Chief People Officer and Chief of Staff at Planful, Tanya Gibson, who is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and HR um, at Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot justice as well. So it spells Jedi, which is the coolest title ever. Uh, Larry Donovan, the CEO at Namely, 
and Allison Tom, the Vice President of People at Carew. So thank you all so, so much for being here. I'm really excited to stop talking so I can hear you talk. Uh, so just a quick call out about our nonprofit partner for this event. We, um, each of these events is free to attend with the option to donate to our nonprofit partner each month. So if you'd like to support the amazing organization we're partnering with uh, this month, then my team will drop a link in the chat below in, in the Zoom platform if you're in there or share it out afterwards. But our partner is Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, which you might note is where Tanya is joining us from as well today. So they're a really incredible organization. They are the largest donor and volunteer supported mentoring network, uh, making really meaningful matches between, you might've heard these terms if you're familiar with their organization, but bigs who are their adult volunteers and children who are their littles, ages five through young adulthood and communities just across the whole country. So these mentoring relationships that they establish support some really, really critical social and emotional development needs to help build resilience and promote mental health and well-being of um, thousands upon thousands of children in our country. So now more than ever, Big Brothers Big Sisters agencies across the country are really stepping up to make sure that our digital divide doesn't really get in the way of that really critical mentorship. So they are finding a lot of creative ways to keep kids connected in the moment. So lots of ways to support the amazing work that they do. And I'm sure Tanya would be happy to tell you a little bit more about it. Um, but our team will facilitate some other ways that you can get involved and learn more in the chat for now. And then um, final thing is just before we jump in, you'll see a few housekeeping notes in the chat. The chat is something we encourage you to use often. We really wanna hear from you. We want you to engage with one another. We would love it if you would engage with the panelists. It is weird to just talk into the void, so please talk back and um, really just be part of this discussion with us today. You already carved out the time to do it. Make it worth your while. You'll also see a few poll questions throughout our discussion, which we'll address and publish the results afterward in a wrap up for everyone. And then uh, there's a Q&A feature where you can also submit some more official questions that we'll cover as well. So I'd like to turn it over now to our panelists who will introduce themselves in any ways I did not and add where they're broadcasting from, as well as a leading thought or something that is just top of mind about this topic for them right now. And then as each of you introduce yourselves, panelists, please feel free to pass it, uh, whichever way makes sense, pass the mic to your fellow panelists so that we can make sure everyone gets their intro in. So I will start with Misty Brown Fisher. How did I know you're gonna do that, Amanda? <laughs> Hi everyone, it's great to see you all here that we're not just in this space. I think we're broadcasting from LinkedIn and a couple other places as well. So it's good to see you all out there. I am here in Tampa, Florida. I saw Derek York uh, pop up, who's also in sunny Tampa, Florida. So hi to Derek and everyone else who's uh, in from Florida. So I do work at a company called Fisk. I'm a chief people officer there. And uh, I oversee the traditional HR function, though I like to consider us very non-traditional in our approach. Um, when people say, oh, you're the HR lead, I say, well, I'm just really a people person. And so my job is to ensure that all 350, 400 people at our organization love where they work. Uh, we're a 50-year-old company, and I'm excited to see where we're headed for our next 50 years. And I love being a part of that strategic direction. So 
happy to be here. Um, these four C's are probably the um, underpinnings of my passion for what I do. So excited to um, start some dialogue with all of you. And I'm in the habit of passing to Larry, so I'm going to do that again. Thanks, Misty, and uh, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here as well. Um, my name is Larry Donovan. I am the CEO at Namely. Uh, Namely is a provider of HR technology products to mid-market companies, typically companies in the 50 to 500 employee range. Uh, and like Danielle in the chat, I am joining you here from New York City. It's actually a pretty exciting day here at Namely because we are having our first all hands meeting um, since the start of the pandemic where we've invited employees who are vaccinated to join us. Uh, and so I have been coming to the office very infrequently since September um, and um, more so of late. And today I think we have about 35 people here uh, and I'm actually gonna get to do an all hands meeting in front of a room full of people. Uh, although we've all gotten good at this virtual craziness uh, I am very much looking forward to that, um, and it's it's very timely because, you know, so much of what so much of my time is consumed in a positive way um, by trying to do the work of maintaining our organization's culture and creating a community when we've lost all of our physical presence, uh, and so it's a it's a special day for us here in that regard. So uh, good timing for that. So I'm glad to be here. Hope that the opportunity for you to join us is is useful. And I am gonna pass it over to Tanya. Well, thank you, Larry. Um, good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you are in the world. Um, I'm so excited to be here. And, and thank you, Amanda, for your introduction. And Tanya Gibson, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am from Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Um, also like Misty, I am here in sunny, beautiful Tampa, Florida. And I do see some of my uh, BBBS families also on. So hello to all of my community who's joining in the conversation. And as you heard Amanda say, my, uh, my job title is VP of Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, or JEDI for short. And I also have the honor of serving as our head of human resources. And so in my role, um, kind of like my mantra today is I'm an ally. And so for me, you know, part of today's discussion, I hope to be able to talk about the intersections that we so often in these four C's also have to be thoughtful around and how do we make our work more human and humanize the work of HR professionals? Because oftentimes to Misty's point earlier, we're just thought of, you know, as the HR person and, and we're kind of relegated to the, the back corners of the office. And uh, normally folks don't get to see us as, as whole human beings, right? And um, so for me, I, I really do um, want to make sure that today's discussion is engaging and interacting um, with all of the folks on today and, and share more about our work around justice and uh, who we are as an organization. So thank you uh, for the invite and can't wait to dig in with the panelists today. And I will toss it over to Allison. Hi, everyone. Um, Allison Tom. Uh, I am the VP of people at uh, Carew, which some of you may be more familiar with us as uh, formerly Snack Nation. Um, but Carew, we're an employee care company. Um, and so we are helping companies and organizations to um, make it easy to care and, and uh, recognize their teams um, with our platform that's um, built for the more hybrid distributed workforce of today. Um, 
um, and recognize them in really tangible ways. Um, in my role, uh, like Misty said, I also consider myself a people person. So shout out to all the people people. Um, in my role, uh, I manage all areas of our people operations across the full employee life cycle um, and am responsible and most passionate about nurturing our culture um, that really helps people to feel seen and heard. So Tanya, love, love what you said about making sure that we are um, you know, building a culture and fostering communication that um, really makes sure that people feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. Um, and I'm excited to join this conversation along with the rest of our uh, panelists, um, because we, like every organization, have certainly experienced a tremendous amount of change and had to navigate um, many challenges and many opportunities in the last 18 months. Um, and we're still learning a lot about how these four C's um, are going to inform, um, you know, how we really care for our employees moving forward. So look forward to sharing and also learning from everyone here today. And I'll pass it over to Melissa. Great, thank you. So I'm Melissa Druth. I am Chief People Officer and Chief of Staff at Planful. Uh, we're a financial planning and analysis tool. We help finance leaders and HR leaders really plan their business and their employee headcounts. Um, like everyone else here, I am continuously learning. I, I joked earlier that the past 18 months forced us all to throw whatever playbook we thought we had out the window and reimagined what our world is starting to look like. And you know, for us at Planful, we're really focusing on how do we foster this new virtual community and how do we continue to project our, our culture amongst the organization. Um, so really looking forward to learning from everyone as well and uh, digging into what we've tried to do, some mistakes we've made along the way, um, because I think this is still gonna be what we're doing for the next 18 months as well. And we're gonna continuously be learning and, and changing along the way. Thank you, Mel. Yeah. In the uh, we were talking about in you know backstage about alternatives to the new normal, and so we're just for the purposes of the next hour, we'll call it the now. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great point, and it's a good lead off from our first poll that uh, popped up while everyone was introducing themselves, which asked, "Does your organization have a defined culture?" And so. It looks like 68% of our attendees said yes, 32% said no. So I would love to start there because I think that's such a critical piece of making culture make sense, especially in a remote or distributed or hybrid world, um, or just a changing world, which is a constant always, of course. But um, I'd love to just start there and talk a little bit about what does a defined culture mean and how does that show up for each of you in the work that you do or the work that you do with other organizations? Because it's something that looks different for every single organization. So um, Melissa, would you mind if I just toss it back to you just to kick that one off? Sure, I, I think that we were in a really unique situation even prior to the pandemic. So we had gone through a name change. We had this wonderful company kickoff in January, 2020. Employee morale was at an all time high. We were so excited about what we were doing and then bam, the pandemic hits. Um, and so I would say our culture was actually really in transformation in that six months prior. 
And so for us, it really forced us to, to think about what do we want our employees to think and feel as we move through this pandemic that was creating so much fear and uncertainty for everyone. I would say if you asked any employee, they would say that we have a strong culture of empathy. It forced our leaders this past 18 months to be really, really vulnerable with our team to say, listen, I am now a working mom and a school teacher and I haven't been able to see my family either. And everyone had so many different experiences. So I would say that we do have a very, very empathetic culture right now. And as we're coming out of that, we're still redefining what does the planful culture mean to us because we were in such a transformation already prior to the pandemic. What we've started to anchor on is we had just released our new company values, our mission statement, our vision, and we actually have a mid-year event happening in July where we're going to launch our culture code so that everyone feels like they really have things to rally around. It's very clear and specific who we want to be, not just who we are right now. And so we can also paint that vision of, of where we want to see our company going in the future. Yeah, that's such a, a critical piece is the actually breaking down what your culture means. That's something that uh, we do a lot of in, in the work that we do is helping organizations define that code, that culture code that is beyond far reaching values and feelings that we want to instill in terms of the way that we work together, but actually make it real for people. You know, How does that net out in my behaviors, my actions, my decisions every day? And yeah, that's such a critical piece of making it real, Melissa, so true. I'll throw something out, Amanda, if it's okay. Yeah, for sure. So I want to, um, first of all, for I think it was 32% that said that they do not have a defined culture, I will say fear not. Um, sometimes the culture is already defined and you just, you aren't realizing it. Um, and, or it might need your help. So, um, and I also wanted to, one point I'll make is that cultures aren't always good. Obviously there's sometimes bad ones. Um, and as it relates to my organization, I consider us in a bit of a restart up mode, so a restartup mode. So we're 50 years old as a company. It's almost a little bit like a rebirth, but as you can imagine, the last 18 months did a lot for education. We had universities scurrying to move online to facilitate students that needed to quickly learn in different ways. And that's where our company from what we do for a living came into play. So what that did for us as an organization and as people is it made us vulnerable. Um, it upset the norm. It made a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, as chief people officer, there's a lot of conversations with realizing people were trying things they had never done before and were sometimes afraid to admit it. Um, and so it was a bit of kind of self-discovery for many of us and it made us more human than ever because of that vulnerability factor. And so I feel that the last 18 months as we're in this restartup mode has helped develop what the culture is to be as we go forward. Um, certainly it's about innovation because we have to do things differently because the environment forces us to in education. It's about flexibility, and I equate that to trust, which is a big mantra of mine, a trusting that our people are working, even if you can't see them in a seat, trusting that things will get done, even if it's 6 p.m. or it's 7 a.m., um, trusting that people will adapt. Um, and then also one of the things that I'm hoping that we continue to inspire at BISC is curiosity and really understanding that it is okay to fail and as leaders to support the failures. Um, they're not necessarily wrong there. It's, it's you either win or you learn. So um, I'd say curiosity and flexibility and so forth 
are the underpinnings of what our culture is becoming as we move forward. And hopefully um, that moves into innovation and discovering and creating new things, which is especially fulfilling for, for employees. Uh, Amanda, if I could just jump in just to echo something Misty said and kind of amplify it for the folks listening is, because as I was thinking of that question for us at Big Brothers Big Sisters, uh, we're similarly in, in transformation. And I think all of, all of us can admit that COVID we're all transforming because there was no playbook to it. But when we talk about culture for us, it really is microcultures that are being created. And so probably to Misty's point, those 32% of folks who said there was no culture, there probably is a culture just to her point is not well-defined or has not been articulated to, to the staff members in the workforce. And I think that is what I learned, um, lesson learned in HR is oftentimes HR professionals may think that there is a, a macro culture and we have to sometimes remember there are micro cultures that have been created, whether it be departmentally, whether it be interpersonal between different factions of the workforce, um, intergenerationally, oftentimes I find there are different cultures or different ways that um, those factions of the workforce define the culture and you just have to look at it from a perspective of everyone has their own perception of how that culture is and, and how you as an HR professional and make sure that you're leading that information and communicating that well with our middle managers who oftentimes are the forebearers of culture. And no matter whatever culture we create as HR, even senior leadership, oftentimes our middle managers are the folks who are creating those microcultures being created within the workforce. And definitely in this virtual world, I have learned that um, what we may feel is our culture, we have to constantly be fostering that communication and those conversations because you can lose touch, especially in the virtual world of what's happening versus being in person. You can really be have your hand more on the pulse and you can feel the shifts versus when you're virtual. Oftentimes you have to rely on you know, surveys and maybe even Larry and his company can attest you know, the technology that we're able to use to foster the data to support how we define our culture is really critical for us. And I'll, something I'd add is that what I've learned about being a leader during this time um, is a big, a big central tenant to our cultural dynamic is the way in which um, our values have been tested. Because the reality is in my view, like the culture at its core is driven by uh, an organization's values. I I'm a strong believer uh, as a leader, you never change your values, your mission, your vision might change, but your values like really need to stay fixed. You know, obviously the world can change. And I guess this is, this would be a great time if there's ever going to be one where you would have to reconsider values. And I, and I did make some changes to ours when I joined, namely two years ago. Um, and I, I got into 2020 realizing that this would be a very good test of how strong our values were and how they resonated and how they fit the business for the long term. Because if they could stand the test of 2020, we got it right. And um, what I learned, um, you know, one of our, one of the messages inside a couple of our values was centered around empathy. And I'm, I'm cautiously contemplating changing one of our core values to empathy um, because of that. Um, but certainly um, it's the one kind of value characteristic um, that I think has helped our culture thrive during the pandemic. Uh, because the fact that we were able in, in many instances, whether it's the way we deal with a customer or the way we deal with each other, 
um, that becomes such an important element. And it, 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 it became an important uh, vocabulary word for me as I tried to coach leaders through the business. You know, a few weeks after the pandemic started, when I had to get on the phone uh, with the CEO of a, one of our very largest clients, who operated a chain of yoga studios who had shut down and she had this contractual obligation to, for fees that, you know, she was literally crying. Um, and, you know, obviously I was the, probably the 10th of these phone calls she'd made that day. And unfortunately one of our employees was a lacked empathy. They kind of used the party line with that, that, that person. And um, it was a great coaching moment, but it was also a very stark moment for me as well around how important that was. And, it, it reminded me early uh, um, about that. And, and it, I think it's helped our culture evolve in a very interesting and effective way, um, you know, among many other things, of course, that happen, uh, because we are able to emphasize that if we, if we treat each other well at our, at our core, regardless of which constituent we're dealing with, um, we're going to come out the other side better. And, and our, I believe our culture was strengthened as a result of it. Yep. And it's, uh, you know, something that, Allison, I'd love your perspective on this as well in your role as VP of people and just having a background in those internal functions where you are with the people all the time. You see those things uh, and nothing has reared its head more over the past year and a half. You're right, Larry, as to whether or not our values are real. Are they lived? Do they breathe in our actions, how we treat people? Um, and the, just the overarching experience that we create for anyone who interacts with us. And so um, a lot of the work that it takes to understand if that's real and true is being able to even get to that person. You know, Larry, not, it doesn't always happen that that bubbles up where it needs to so that you even find out and can course correct some of your team. So I'd love to hear more, um, starting with you, Allison, from your perspective, about really on that individual people level, how we can keep more of a pulse on if people are connected to what we are doing, our, our purpose, our mission, our values, and if those are being lived and, and uplifted in everything that every individual does that makes up the whole of what we're trying to do. Yeah, um, I, I will answer that question, Amanda. I, one thing I wanted to just kind of pick back up from Tanya and what Larry were describing in terms of like micro cultures um, was also this idea, and, and this ties to the conversation about values is um, one of the micro cultures that we observed emerging was this idea of old and new cultures. So for the team members who were with you pre-COVID and very likely in our case, they were all in a physical office, very close in-person relationships. That um, is now a completely different culture and experience from folks who we've hired remotely and have never met their coworkers and their team members and their manager um, in person. And so that is something that we've had to observe as well. And I think moving forward, as we think about a truly hybrid workforce, then what does a hybrid culture look like? And how do we how do we identify the aspects or the values that we still believe are truly our North Stars and the core pillars of 
our DNA and our culture moving forward, but then also how do we start to experiment and be innovative and um, try completely new things um, that are going to better serve the hybrid workforce moving forward. So I just wanted to kind of underline what everyone has already said. I think that that's something that's really top of mind for a lot of people as the world is reopening and, and we're rethinking what that experience is going to be. Um, in terms of keeping a pulse on, um, you know, how our values are with, you know, standing the, the test of time, and I like what Larry said, if, if they can stand up to 2020, then you probably are doing something right. Um, I think for, for us, one of the big lessons was um, that we really had to, A, listen and leverage our our network right and leverage the managers um, that are on the front lines have those uh, deeper relationships with their employees to capture that feedback I think sometimes as a people leader you sometimes feel burdened to be the the person or the only team that can be capturing that feedback and taking action on it. But you really need to, especially now with teams being so distributed, really need to leverage all of your resources and empower everyone at all levels to feel like they have a voice and can use their, their voice to help us be better moving forward and inform the decisions that we're making. Um, and the second thing that that we certainly have have been thinking about and um, uh, in terms of our values is just thinking about how there's it's impossible to say that 2020 has not changed all of us right and changed our organization and so I don't think that um, everyone should scrap their core values and go completely back to the drawing board but how can you just start to iterate on them and maybe broaden the definitions and the way that you want to see those values be lived. Yeah, and I think similar to, to Allison, right, the, the analogy I, I always like to use is that your culture is really like an ATM, like you have to make little deposits every single week, because there's going to be a time where you're going to have to take a big withdrawal out. And I think 2020 was that withdrawal. And the same as what you said is just leveraging your resources, you know, we're a company of 300 people, this little people team was not going to be able to carry everyone on their back and so teaching our managers to lead with empathy to realize that there's someone a human being behind the laptop that you're seeing each and every day and not just diving straight into the tactics and the goals and the deadlines but saying how are you how can i help do you need a wellness day or just realizing that someone who has three children might be dealing with this very differently to a fresh college grad to your point that was hired in a remote world and has never had the opportunity to meet their team um, i think educating a lot of our managers who've never had to manage a remote team before was really really key for us and to always just say there is a human being that you're dealing with and every single person is going to be adapting a little bit differently as well yeah, no, just you made me think I always remind myself that you're not born into management, you have to actually teach your managers how to manage it's not just a skill set that we're born with. 
And I think HR, whether you were volunteered into this work, like <laughs> Misty shared with us uh, backstage that this wasn't her first career. Sometimes some of us just stumble into HR and maybe this is our just natural uh, skill set. But for management, oftentimes they're brought in as a manager because they're great doers and task workers, but they don't always have that people management touch. And, you know, the empathy component that I think we've all been amplifying is so important to remind ourselves about that. You know, at 2020, definitely, I, even for myself, been doing this, you know, 10 plus years, I had to pull out some new tricks and, and become innovative because it, I was not used to it. I'm used to being in an office with folks and being able to, you know, okay, well, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk it through. And now I'm really just trying to learn, okay, well, how do I teach managers to manage from their home when you have all these other inputs um, you know, kind of coming at you from all ends. So totally agree with you, Mel. I'm, I'm learning as I go and hopefully the normal that will be, be our, our everyday will allow us all to, to build some new skill sets that we otherwise wouldn't have had. I think we all were just managing as the human beings folks came to because we were always the resource and bringing more of the human back into it. The human element of work is so critical. Well, and Tanya, there's a really interesting question that somebody posed. It said, if you're creating or trying to add values to a culture in your workplace, what's your advice on how to identify those values that not only resonate with people, but that are vital for a healthy environment? And what strikes me as you were talking, and then I was reading some of the notes that, that are showing up here, and then my own really strong passion about this is that you know, I want to caution um, uh, anyone in the audience to thinking about values as kind of an operational or tactical activity, because the values embody the culture. They they are the they are the heart and soul of the culture, and they're they're really it's not so it's it's inside out, not outside in. And at the it's my very fervent belief that values begin and end with the CEO. And when I first came to Namely, like job number one for me was to look at the values and decide if they resonated for me in a very personal level. Um, now that obviously I am only one of many, many constituents in that game. But at the end of the day, if I wasn't on board with those values and I wasn't willing to live them and I wasn't willing to passionately evangelize them, um, they're going nowhere. Um, you know, so my caution as anyone thinks about this, the place to start is is where the, where the CEO's head is. And then of course, applying that to better understanding the nature of the workforce because and how they'll connect. You know, I used to jokingly say, and I didn't know this because it would be inappropriate to find out, but I jokingly said, I'm the oldest employee in this company. I wasn't quite, but I was pretty darn close. And, um, and I found, and, and you know, so I also had to like really be careful about both how things were gonna resonate for me personally and then how I was going to identify to a workforce whose average age was 29 years old. And, um, and so I, I think that um, really important to think about those things. It's a great question. Uh, and, it, and, if, and if your CEO, if, especially if you're an HR leader, because I see this all the time, too many CEOs dump the hard work on HR leaders, putting them in a horrible position to try to make things happen, especially during the pandemic. Um, and so... You know, it, you know, at some level, you're going to have to maybe, uh, you know, have a heart to heart with the CEO about stuff like this and say, step it up. And Amanda, if I can just jump in really quick, I wanted to underscore something Melissa had said. Um, but first, I'll segue from Larry. My closest partner in our organization is our CEO. We're we're lockstep. 
because it, it, our building actually reflects his name. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm glad that you've stepped up as CEO to internalize your values as well. Melissa, I love the analogy. I'm totally stealing it on the ATM de deposits. And what I like about it is because, you know, we can, from my post as a talent leader and so forth, I can do these big things. Like we can throw a big event and we can brand it and do all these amazing, wonderful, you know, kind of big deposits. But really what makes up your culture are the daily deposits that every single person in your organization does. I don't create the culture. I might, I might label it or put some words to it, but it's, it's so everyone on this call in your respective organizations, I hold my team closest um, to that responsibility, but by extension, really the entire organization is responsible for those daily um, micro deposits, I would say, toward our culture. And then ultimately it's looking in the mirror and it's like, okay, who are we? And then you have your values and you have your culture. Um, it's not an invented exercise. So anyways, good, good points. I'm just echoing. Yeah, and I think so true. And it's actually something that came in the Q&A as well as how are we helping managers be educated across generations as well. Those micro deposits are often hidden and no one knows about them. It's a manager sending a text or sending someone flowers behind the scenes and, and not having it have to be this big event or be triggered by something. It's just something that feels very natural to them. And so what we've done is that we've really invested heavily in management training in the past, I would say, 12 months where we're not focusing on the tactics like the one-on-ones and how to set goals, but really equity-fluent leadership, how every single person is different uh, based on their lived experiences, based on where they are in their career. And you can't have one cookie-cutter approach to managing your team. And I think that's really what we've been trying to reinforce as well along the way is that what works for you is going to be very different to me. And that should be okay. Because if you hired a group of people who are exactly the same, your company is never going to grow. And there's never going to be a diverse diversity of thought or experiences that is going to be shared. Mel, I, that question, I actually was responding to that individual because um, we're looking to invest in our people managers in new ways, right? We had always looked at it exactly. How do you performance coach, feedback, those you know, soft skills that we thought were most important. But SHRM has a really great people manager certification that we're looking at, which is really digging into some of the things you just said, right? It's that cultural intelligence, the lived experience of staff members, um, mental health, well-being, and wellness, some of those areas that oftentimes, even myself, I'm guilty of in nature, I never used to focus on that to help my managers. It was always about the tactical organizational agenda versus really looking at the culture and, and the holistic approach of how you, as a manager, manage people, right? Keeping putting that human back into that work. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, too, that some of the if you don't adapt, right, which the the whole field, someone made a note in here in the uh, Q&A about how she's not in HR, so she hopes it's within the limits of this topic. And that's kind of the amazing thing about the field is that it's attracted so many different backgrounds, you know, so many who it's this beautiful thing when we can partner with people who are really, really well-versed and super solid in HR practices and understandings. And then, you know, people who just crush it on communications and really understand that human to human connection, how we bring that to life. And then this psychological aspect of creating psychological safety and all these different skill sets that are really coming to the table in this industry that make for what it should be. And it's, it's amazing how we can grow together when we surround ourselves with colleagues or even just um, 
you know, people in the industry like this, where we can learn from each other and these different perspectives and point out things that if you have a growth mindset, you can handle and say, yeah, you're right. That is something I kind of have my blinders on for that. Um, Cause sticking with the ATM analogy with that, which I also love uh, when we do things that diminish our culture, it happens at both a, a macro and a micro level. They're kind of like withdrawals, you know, from that ATM situation where you're making these tiny little things that can chip away at what you have been trying to build too. So I love that analogy. Um, makes a whole lot of sense for a lot of reasons. So great job, Mel. And um, I wanted to make sure that we also touched on this, this poll question that was running while we were going uh, around the room which just asked on a scale of one to five, how connected do people feel to your company's mission and purpose? And so there are five, five being the most connected, but it looks like the majority feel a version of three through five. Um, most feel a connection to their company's mission and purpose, but there are a few, uh, 2% who do not, and then 6% who rated a two here. So. Um, what are some of the ways that we've been able to, and you've been able to really connect people to the mission and the purpose? Um, it's been a time where we are just, we were trying to keep up most organizations that are keeping up. We're, we're all kind of strapped at an individual level. So how are we keeping people connected to our mission and purpose as we change, as we pivot, and as we kind of take on this agile approach to the new way of working, what are some of the things that you've done to bring your people along with you? Yeah, I'll start. I think I have, I'm you know guilty of this because working with young people, um, our mission I think is very tangible. So we get to see our mission in action. So I think for anyone drawn to Big Brothers Big Sisters, it's because of that um, appetite to be able to to work with with folks that they feel you know a connection with right who doesn't want to work with young people they are future leaders and so I think that passion is innate in anyone who works for us so we recently had our new leader installed so our president and CEO actually came on board in January of this year and so I think for us that was a even more of an energizing moment for us to reconnect with our mission we're going through a strategic frame process um, and we are a Jedi focused youth empowerment organization. So I think the language matters for us. And for, for us, that is how we're continuing to keep that North Star connection to our mission and purpose driven mindset, especially in a remote in environment. It was a way for us to look at ourselves and say, who are we? Uh, make sure that that mission really made sense for us and make sure that we're centering it around our young people. So for us, it may be a little bit easier because you know working with young people and mentorship I think is a very positive impact that we have on our communities. For us, it's, it's a little different. So we're an FP&A software tool. Our mission is to accelerate financial decisions and help companies act really quickly. So in the pandemic, it was wonderful. HR leaders could help replan their workforce. But if you think about that, right, an SDR who just graduated college, they probably didn't leave college thinking, I want to empower financial decision makings. And so what we always think about is think about Tesla's mission statement. Tesla's mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. 
not everyone at Tesla probably wants to do that, but there are other things at that company that really motivates them to be there. So for us, we always ask our employees, what's your why? What are you going to get out of Planful? How are we going to develop you? How are you going to feel like you can be your authentic self at work? And then look back in two years time and say, I really grew and developed at Planful because there were so many opportunities for me to be my best self, to learn in my career. And so we've really started to anchoring to what's your why? Why do you get up every day? How can we support you in achieving your why at work too? Because we know not everyone is going to want to be a financial analyst or CFO one day, but how can we help them on their journey to be the best professional that they can be? Yep. That's that's a, a really critical caveat, Melissa, is viewing the different levels of con contribution within an organization. There are those individual contributors or people who really master their craft. And then there are the people leaders and the team leaders who naturally emerge, as well as the business leaders and organization leaders. And the way that you approach connecting those people to the work and growth plans and career development are so different based on, you know, their own individual drivers. Larry, was there something you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this idea of the why. I'm going to steal that. Thank you. Um, the, um, because one of the things that's actually, that, that is interesting, and I would encourage everyone to be doing it if they're not doing it, is identify through engagement, you know, surveying, um, understand um, where those elements, you know, have impacts. Like, for example, one of our most critical um, measures in our engagement surveys is this very issue of, you know, the, the why are you here? And, and how, do, how do we make the connection between what we're trying to achieve as a business and, and how you make that real for yourself and translate that into uh, the, the work I do every day makes a contribution that I can see clearly and, and that, that I personally value. And uh, one of the things that I've struggled as a CEO to do is, to get that particular score up really high um, by creating the connection between the strategy um, and having people being, you know, bought into it, in addition to, um, you know, making it making it real for them in terms of their day-to-day -day activities. Of course, as I've said earlier, are kind of bounded by these these values that define our culture. And uh, you know, and so for, first and most importantly, if you're not measuring that stuff, you need to start. And there's a lot of inexpensive, straightforward tools. You don't have to buy, you know, you don't have to go buy, spend, spend $100,000 a year on a product like CultureAmp, uh, although it's a great tool, we use it as an example. But um, the, you can, if, if, you're, if you're not really understanding that stuff, and then more importantly, how it connects the dots to the way you behave and what you do about it, what all the, the, the top leaders do in response to it. Um, you're not going to move the needle on culture. And it is especially true now. Um, you know, and someone asked a, a question in the in the chat about this idea of what do you do when the culture gets toxic and then you have all these remote workers? Well, usually the reason the culture got toxic has nothing to do with remote workers. But in all of these situations, how we handle it has to change dramatically. How we think about it has to change dramatically um, because all the assumptions we made when everybody was in the office together are gone forever. Uh, and so I think that, you know, it's a multidimensional problem that, you know, you got to piece up, pick apart and then put back together. I'm fortunate to work with a mission um, with, with our company that it's similar to um, our big brothers and big sisters, folks that are on the line and on this panel, 
um, it's more tangible. So we work with students who are realizing a lifelong dream and getting an education, whether it's certificate or degrees. So it's, it's when I'm doing um, recruiting, for instance, it's easier to you know, help people see what's your passion toward that? What's been your educational journey? So I'm able to correlate that very nicely. But for those that maybe have a little bit more, maybe you're more B2C, your company, it's important to look at your personal goals or what you do every day if you don't have a formalized goal structure and figure out, okay, so if the stated mission of our company is this, and these are the five things I'm focused on every day, what's the correlation? And it's totally okay to tap your manager's shoulder and say, why is what I'm doing matter? Like, why does it matter to the bigger picture? How am I, you know, contributing to, you know, what the company is trying to do to move forward? The way I try to do that for our organization, we're actually in the middle of, of bull sitting now because we're about to hit um, a new fiscal year start for, for us, is I want to ensure that our mission is very clear. It's not open for a ton of interpretation. It's, it's very centralized. Um, and then we start with our leadership goals because from there it cascades down into the organization. And I wanna be able to connect that mission, which is the umbrella into the leader's goals down into every individual's goal so they can actually see the ladder up to the mission statement or the company pillars. It's very tangible. And if their goal is somewhere over here and they're not part of this inverted pyramid, that's a problem. You know, it's a management function is to pull them right back over and ensure that they're part of that story. No one wants to be an employee of a company where they feel like what they're doing doesn't matter. And so there are very simple ways to connect the dots between what you're trying to do as a company and what people do as individuals. To just jump in on uh, Misty talking about OKRs um, and, and company goals, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, and I think anyone in our organization would be happy to talk about, we've iterated significantly on our OKRs and we have listened to feedback and we've been open to just rethinking the way that we're designing and as you said, Misty, cascading those goals um, so that we can make sure that um, they are resonating with the team and that individual contributors um, feel like they are actually contributing to the goal, those goals. One of the lessons that we took away is that um, we had kind of gotten to a point where our OKRs were maybe overly complex or overly complicated. So we went through a streamlining exercise and we're actually still going through that exercise to again, make sure that they are as clear, as concise as possible. And that is actually helping people to feel like, okay, I don't have to sift through 10 company goals and then you know 10 department goals and then figure out how I fit into this big picture. It's now much clearer, you know, it's like three top company goals, and then maybe each department has two or three. And that's much easier. It's much more accessible for the individual contributors to feel like they are connected and, and contributing and having an impact. The other piece that we have always kind of um, incorporated is also making sure that each individual has an opportunity to actually put on paper and build into their quarterly plan. What are their per, uh, per, personal and like developmental goals that, um, Misty, to your point, I think that it's a problem when someone's business objectives and business goals aren't tied to the broader organization, but allowing space for individuals to have their professional developmental goals still be something that they are committed to, something that their manager is aware of and that they can check in more frequently on as well um, has been a great tool for us just to make sure that people feel like we're also depositing back into their ATM, their personal ATM. 
And Allison, I'd even be more aggressive. I, frankly, I'm I, in full disclosure, I'm an OKR hater. I've killed it in two different companies. Um, and, and part of the problem with it is exactly what you said, which is, you know, streamlined, easy to follow, understandable. I had a very interesting experience with my daughter on this because she had done these OKRs and then the world changed. And then her boss jumped on her because she didn't achieve her OKRs. You know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm proven. Um, there's, but there are, I mean, obviously goal frameworks can be really, really effective as well. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head, which is a lot of companies make the mistake of focusing at all on those, you know, tactical outcomes and nothing on, you know, personal development. Um, you know, and again, you know, survey after survey, um, career development comes up as the, is one of the highest drivers for engagement for us. Um, and, and in the pandemic, it's even been more so that, and don't ask me why, but you know, forced, forced office closure days. Like the most popular thing we did during the pandemic was to shut the office on the same day. We have an unlimited PTO policy at Namely. You can take time off whenever you want. But when we closed the office for the day, 10X response. Why? Because for some reason in the pandemic, people felt like when everybody else was not working, they could more freely not work. Now, pandemic impact zero, remote versus in office impact zero. But I think it was an emotional uh, connection that people needed and the freedom to like really disconnect, especially when you're not used to this, you know, working at home, not working at home. I worked at home in the early 90s. So like I, you know, I, I, I'm jaded, but um, just all those things in so many interesting ways have been unpredictable. I couldn't agree more, Larry. That same thing, our last engagement survey, the wellness days were the top thing that got us the highest marks. And, and people were really candid. They said, you know, I didn't feel guilty taking time off. And I think some of the, the negativity from this past 18 months is that you don't really have an off clock anymore. Your home is now your office. And so burnout is so, so prevalent. People are working longer hours, but having one focus day where all of their peers were doing nothing exactly the same as the but they were, that was the, the huge win for us above anything else we could have done. And it sounds like Larry and Melissa, you both named them wellness days. We did the same. And that was, that was intentional. We had to be really specific about how we named those resources um, because to Larry's point, we have a flexible PTO policy, but we found that um, I think it was less than half of our employees had taken a single day in all of 2020. And that was because, you know, people were saying, well, I don't, I'm not going on vacation. I don't have something to do um, that would require me to take time off. And so people just were not taking any time for themselves. And so we said, your mental wellness day is for you to unplug. And I know what, you know, part of the topic today is how are we using technology um, but also like still being human. And I think it's just as powerful to know when to step away and when to take a break from technology. Um, and that has been so important because as all of us know, I mean, those lines right now are so blurred. Um, and so it's hard to know when to turn off. Yeah, I, um, I saw that there was a question uh, there around the work-life balance, which I was certain was going to come up. Just two quick thoughts on that. From my perspective, when I take time, I announce it to everyone. I wanna set the example that I am going on vacation. Here's my, my top group that you can reach out to at any time and make it very clear that they're the ones to reach out to, not to me. And it's not because I wanna be left alone, but it's because I trust my team. I've got really great number twos across the board. Sometimes those are, 
and they're perfectly capable. If I continue to check in while I'm taking time off, that's not saying much about their abilities. And I, I don't like that sense. I don't want to promote that. So I make sure everybody knows I'm taking the time and I, I try to be very quiet during that time. Even if I am secretly checking a few things, I don't respond back. The other thing is that if you are taking the time and I, I've um, mentored people in this aspect a lot, it's like take the time and have an accountability partner. It would be smart to have your accountability partner be your manager. Like, hey, keep me honest. I'm taking these five days off. Make sure you don't check in and have them just be a, a cohort for you as far, to, um, as far as taking true time to detox, to get your head back in the game and so that you come back fresh and be ready to go when you go. Like have that last Friday, you're finished with everything. There's nothing left undone and then have that accountability partner to keep you honest, taking the time. I joke with my direct reports, I better not hear from you. Mm -hmm. I'll ignore you. It's just that simple. <laughs> yeah. I won't ignore you. I'll say something to you. I'm like, stop writing. Get off the beam. How many emails have you sent? I take the opposite approach. I literally <laughs> just If they want to know something, forget it. You'll find out on <laughs> Yeah, we, we incorporate bud days where you have a, a buddy who covers anything that comes up for you and kicks you off of Zoom if they see you <laughs> The full circle system. Um, Can I just add one other thing to what Misty said about modeling? Yeah. So one of the things we're looking at is for meetings because of Zoom, we're experiencing Zoom fatigue is we've started trying to share with folks instead of 30 minute meetings, make sure that they're 25 minutes or if it's an hour long meeting, make sure they're 55 minutes. Um, just to make sure that you give, because we've experienced folks who've said they've had back-to-back -back meetings all day long. So just another example of something that you can do for that, that mental health for folks just to have a bio break or grab something to drink or just not always be focused on the camera all day. But at least the bathroom is closer at home, you know? That is true. We don't have to run all the way down the hallway. That's so something. good point. Efficiencies. <laughs> yeah, I have a, a quick question. So it's so interesting, the Zoom meetings and Zoom fatigue, what we've actually faced too is just people meeting for the sake of meeting. And so we've had to almost design a decision tree saying, do you really need a meeting for this? Can you do it over Slack? Can it be a quick phone call to someone and really try to build that muscle in the team that you don't always have to just default to Zoom. There's other ways that you can probably communicate and get things done quicker because I think we've all had those days where you look at your calendar and even if the bathroom is right next door, you probably haven't been all day because you've just been looking at your screen all the time. I think the other thing too with Zoom is that we found that, you know, when you're in an office, it was easy. The, those first few minutes are kind of small talk, catching up, connecting on a human level. And a lot of that was somewhat lost with Zoom. You know, you kind of log on and it's like, all right, what's on the agenda? Let's get to it. Um, and so I think making space, building into your agenda, the first five minutes are just checking in. How are you? How, like, how is it going? And I think the, even just the gesture of asking and then listening to how someone is honestly responding to that question of how are you doing um, is, is so important and um, oftentimes was a great way for us to keep a pulse on, you know, what were people what were people experiencing and how was it affecting them um, in different ways? Because we all know that the last 18 months have affected people in different ways and at different times. Um, and so I think that just, again, setting that norm is, is really important. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's critical, especially in change and shifts. If it's different from, uh, of course, it's different. It just is different, definitely, for everyone in 
how we work and what our expectations are. So finding those creative ways to check in with one another, to hold each other um, to our own boundaries that we have gone through the you know, personal work and courage of defining for ourselves and encouraging others to do the same. That's really tough work. So it's, you've done the hard part. Now you just have to honor it in some instances and help others do the same thing to really lead through this, the now culture that we're all <laughs> working within. So I, um, we have one minute that went by really quickly. Uh, you are all brilliant. I am so grateful that we got to have this conversation with each of you, Melissa, Misty, Tanya, Larry, and Allison. Thank you so, so much for your perspective, your voices and ideas and feedback for the attendees. I know a lot of them shared their gratitude in the chat, but just so you know, they are all very grateful. And um, for everyone, we will share out a wrap up of this event, the artwork and illustration that we've been seeing along the way as well as the key ideas and tools that we've gathered together for um, connecting the four C's in our, our now, now world. So thank you all so, so much for joining us. And I hope you all have a great rest of your Thursday. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Amanda. Great, thanks, Amanda. Thanks,